Hello, everybody, and welcome to the JWB Fantasy Football Podcast. He's Justin. I'm Wyatt. And on today's show, we're going to be talking recent NFL news, start our running back breakdown, and then we're going to hit up some top three ADP outperformers. Thank you so much, Wyatt. It's so awesome to be back for our second episode here. Hope everything is going really well with you recently, but let's uh, let's get down to some business and talk some news, shall we? Sounds good to me. First off, the Washington football team is changing their nickname, which is pretty weird, I would say. Yeah, it is. We had mentioned that a little bit amongst ourselves that I don't really remember a complete rebranding of a franchise in our lifetime, but I think it's a, it's a good move. I can't say it necessarily is going to have me moving Dwayne Haskins any higher up my draft board, but it's nice to see a progressive change out of a franchise. I'll, uh, I'll be curious to see what they come up with and find out if something like our Cleveland Indians is, is soon to follow, huh? Yeah, I think my favorite so far that I've seen is Red Tails. Yeah, it's just uh, slightly different. Everybody can use their same apparel as before. I can see a lot of uh, duct tape changes to jerseys coming in in Washington's future. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, next, we heard there is going to be some possible coronavirus opt-out for players. Now, this is no immediate impact for us or for fantasy, but really what all this means is everyone needs to keep an eye out as players may end up actually sitting out the season. Yeah, it's uh, something we have to pay attention to and monitor. Not a lot different than what I think it's going to be like for any any particular leagues. But did you also see the piece of news about Oakley coming up with some face guards for players as well? I did. I did. It's you know, it's all interesting stuff that's going to help the football season actually happen. Yeah, I think that's good. You know, any anything that helps to keep players on the field is is good. It'll just be hopefully all done uh, above board in a very public way. And I assume that, that that'll be the case. So as far as illnesses go or opt-outs go, we should know in advance of, of what happens there. But I think as, as far as it goes for fantasy relevance, right, the biggest aspect of this is perhaps just keeping an eye out for a date that players have to opt out by. And we can update everyone with that if we hear anything here shortly. But uh, you got to hope that players make the decision off they're gonna if they're gonna opt out or not opt out by the time we have our league drafts here in a few weeks. So let's cross our fingers that we know who's playing and who's not by the time we got to make picks. Yeah, you just really got to keep your eye out around this time. Next, the Titans and Derrick Henry. They're not gonna get a deal done before the season actually starts. So what this really means is Derrick Henry is gonna continue to play on his tag, which means he's still playing for a long-term contract, but I'm not sure it really matters because Derrick Henry is and always will be game dependent. Yeah, you're 100% right. I have only seen news that indicates that he's going to play and practice and fool and be part of all the team activities that he can be. Uh, makes sense that he'd be playing in, in a contract year to try and perform as best as possible and get the best deal he can get at the end of this season. So uh, as far as being worried about if this is a Dalvin Cook situation where we're not sure if he's going to show up and, and play at the beginning of the year, I can't see that happening with Derrick Henry. It's just nice to note that they kind of agree that no long-term deals getting done right now, but they're going to push forward and everybody's going to continue to do their job. Yeah, I definitely think this is a little bit different than Dalvin Cook because Derrick Henry is actually getting paid a good salary this year as opposed to Dalvin Cook. It's true. On to some defensive news. Miles Garrett and Chris Jones both signed long-term deals for their appropriate teams, which is really great news for those defenses because these guys are 
really the heart and soul of the pass rush of each team. Yeah, I think that's big. We don't really talk too much about defenses from a fantasy perspective, nor should we, right? They should remain a afterthought for most good teams. Uh, I think we would recommend that in all situations you be holding one defense and potentially streaming them throughout the year. Uh, but it's nice to see these guys who are critical to the pass rush get locked up because it does mean that there's potential for these defenses to yield sacks, which is one of the ways that we're looking to get points when we play defense. So from a fantasy perspective, I think it's just some stability when it comes to the Chiefs and Browns to make you feel maybe a little more comfortable about grabbing one of those defenses in the second to last round if that's what happens to be available to you. And our last piece of news, Raheem Mostert has requested a trade, another player requesting a trade with zero leverage, and it just doesn't really make any sense. I heard that Raheem Mostert was looking to get an extra million, essentially, added to his contract, and the 49ers and Mostert's agent couldn't come to an agreement, but it seems like the 49ers are the best place for Mostert to play at. I don't see a a 28-year-old journeyman running back leaving Kyle Shanahan going on to have actual success with another team that is willing to pay him what he wants. I agree with you completely. I think now of of all the news, this one that broke, I think the day after we finished recording our first episode is is probably the one that's most relevant. What I think is really interesting is that I had not even realized as a fantasy player until after this news broke that Mostert is in fact a journeyman like you said. I feel like I have never really accounted for him in the fantasy community until he burst onto the scene last year. But I do think that that's very interesting that he was available for such long stretches of his career to other teams and to other coaches, and we've really never seen him explode the way he did until late last season with Kyle Shanahan. So I I think you're right. It's an interesting move for him to request a trade. I hope he doesn't end up getting traded because I don't think we'd really believe in him in any other system if he were get moved um i think now it's just like we've said with most of the news we wait we pay attention we see what happens with his situation and keep an eye both on him and tevin coleman who would be a beneficiary of something with raheem Mostert going down in that san francisco backfield you know i'm not positive that coleman would be that big of a beneficiary if Mostert was to leave because i'm of the belief that Kyle Shanahan will continue to just churn out these fantasy-relevant running backs, regardless of who's there. Uh, Jarek McKinnon is looking healthy. Who knows how long that will go? Uh, We still have Jeff Wilson. I kind of think that whether Mostert stays or goes, Coleman's kind of going to have his role and his amount of touches, and I, I would guess that someone else might just step in. Yeah, That's pretty valid, which makes you wonder even more so why he'd look to get out of there i maybe i don't maybe his internal fear is that they'll utilize somebody like jarek mckinnon more this year and he'll diminish in value as the season goes i guess maybe it does make a little sense from that particular perspective that his value will never be higher than it is coming off of last year's playoffs and he's looking for his payout now but you're right i guess i'd be careful what i was asking for in that system because it doesn't really seem like shanahan's gonna have an issue finding somebody there out of his given options even if it isn't Tevin Coleman to get a bunch of work between the 20s you're you're probably right he's going to keep about the same role and if Mostert goes someone else will slot in and who knows I'm mean, if Mostert was on a different team I would you still feel like he's a potential flex running back the way that he is right now my guess is no 
I don't think there's a single team that he could get traded to that would make me like him more than where he's at currently. I think he would only go down in value from here. Yeah, that's probably true. But all right, I think that's our last piece of news. So let's uh, jump into some running backs and start breaking these guys down. Yeah, so what we're going to do on today's show is we're going to start a running back breakdown. And what we did is we made a list of 22 running backs that are based on Fantasy Pro's PPR overall ADP for the first four rounds. And we're going to be talking about their Fantasy Pro's ECR, which for those who don't know, that's the expert consensus ranking versus our own rankings. And we're going to go through each one, talk about how we feel about them. So our first set of running backs, we're calling them the elite plus running backs. That's ECR one, Christian McCaffrey, ECR two, Ezekiel Elliott, and ECR three, Saquon Barkley. Yeah, and I'm looking here at your JWB rankings, and it appears that you have them in exactly that order. Christian McCaffrey at one, Ezekiel Elliott at two, and Saquon Barkley at three. Uh, Not a lot to discuss with these guys, right? If you're lucky enough to pick in the top three picks, this is where you're going. Um, I can't really see any quarterback, any tight end, any wide receiver being more valuable than one of these three guys to a particular team. Is there any difference in scoring system for you? If you're in standard versus PPR, is there a particular guy that gets a bump? Well, Christian McCaffrey is bona fide number one across every league, but Ezekiel Elliott matches up with standard more than Saquon Barkley and Barkley is better in PPR. That's really the only difference between those two, but these are the top three guys. You're lucky to have them. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Next, we have our elite running backs, which is our ECR four Alvin Kamara, ECR five Dalvin Cook, and ECR six Derrick Henry. So here I see for the first time a little bit of discord in our rankings from what the expert consensus is. Uh, We actually have Derrick Henry ranked as number four. Dalvin Cook ranked as number five and Alvin Kamara at number six. Now, I know the boards that we're looking at specifically are PPR rankings from Fantasy Pros. And I have to imagine that's why Alvin Kamara gets the bump in those rankings from go to go up from six to the fourth spot. And I could see that maybe making a lot of sense. I do worry that he may not have the touchdown work that I'd expect out of Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook, which is part of the reason why I'm maybe a little bit higher on those two guys in any scoring format, but I'm guessing I'm kind of an outlier there. What would it be for you if you were playing PPR or half PPR? Would you have to put Kamara at the top of this group? If it's full PPR, Alvin Kamara probably would end up being that guy, but I would still have a hard time putting over Derrick Henry for myself. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, it's always been a matter of locating guys who have an extremely high floor. I almost privilege the high floor more than I privilege the high ceiling, especially when it comes to the first or second round. And I just think that what you could get out of Kamara at the end of the year could be really good numbers, but you may have weeks where he's going for 80 to 90 all-purpose yards with no touchdowns. And I don't know. I feel like what Derrick Henry is going to see is going to be a little more consistent, and he'll have weeks where he gets two or three touchdowns to to give you real big boom weeks. So I'm with you. I think in any scoring format I might have to take Derrick Henry just to take above Alvin Kamara uh, but I mean, these are the elite running backs for a reason right like I don't think you could go wrong with any of these first six guys it's just a matter of personal preference on how you may rank them and take them if you're picking in the opening rounds um, 
quick question here for you in regards specifically to Dalvin Cook. If you were drafting in a league in the next week or two weeks and didn't really have any more clarity on Cook's situation than we have right now, would you still be willing to take him? If we were drafting now or in a week, I couldn't take Dalvin Cook here. The reason why I still have Dalvin Cook ranked this highly is because I don't think he's going to actually hold out. I think they're going to come to a deal or he will play. He doesn't really have any leverage because if he doesn't play this year, won't count towards him getting to free agency. So he really just has to play. Um, But because we still don't actually have an answer. If we were drafting right now, I, I wouldn't take him here. I think I'd probably have him outside my top 10 if it, if we were drafting right now. Do you have any strong opinions on the philosophy that you still take Dalvin Cook at pick number five and overdraft Alexander Madison in the seventh or eighth round to ensure that you have both Vikings? I don't want to put myself in a position where I have to overdraft a handcuff when there's so many valuable pieces still left in those rounds. That's a good point. That's probably how I feel about the situation, too, if I'm being honest with myself. It's just interesting to kind of watch how some of that is is going to play out here. Um, yeah, let's take a look at the next year. Yeah, so our next year, we're calling the RB1s. These guys are pretty much just solid RB1s that you can count on. ECR 7, Joe Mixon. ECR 11, Nick Chubb. ECR 12, Aaron Jones. And ECR 13, Josh Jacobs. So as far as our rankings go here on this subject, our uh, number seven is actually Nick Chubb. Eight is Aaron Jones. Nine is Josh Jacobs. And 10 is Joe Mixon. So I still see that you've got these guys as the next four. So rounding out the top 10, just in a little bit of a different order. Now, I've noticed that Chubb has went from kind of where we have him around number seven and then has started to slide back in people's rankings as there's been a lot of hype surrounding what Kareem Hunt's role will be in the offense. Clearly, you don't feel like Hunt is going to be enough of a factor to take a lot of points away from Nick Chubb or you wouldn't have him at seven. So what's your basis for deciding to keep him as high as you have him? I'm a full believer in Nick Chubb. And I think people like to think about the end of the season when Kareem Hunt was basically matching Nick Chubb in PPR points and thinking about how Chubb was having this bad end of the year. And I just don't think that's exactly the way people or how it actually went. In the last eight games of last season, Nick Chubb had 144 carries for 691 yards, but only two touchdowns. But that 16 game pace, that's 288 carries. 1,382 yards and four touchdowns. So really what we're looking at is still getting all the yards, getting all the carries. He just didn't quite have enough touchdowns. But if you look at Baker Mayfield's numbers, in the first eight games, he only threw for seven touchdowns. And in the last eight, he threw for 15. So what was really happening, we saw this change in how the Browns actually ended up scoring. And as you know, as a Browns fan, we saw Nick Chubb getting blown up in the backfield on many a goal line carries. Another big factor in this is that last year, the Browns scored 20.9 points per game, which was 22nd in the NFL. And Kevin Stefanski, who came from Minnesota, had 25.4 points per game, which was eighth in the league. And that's basically a full touchdown more. So I think the Browns are going to be scoring a lot more this year. And Nick Chubb is going to convert some more of those 
opportunities on the goal line now that the Browns have upgraded their offensive line. So I actually think Nick Chubb is still going to end up close to leading the league in rushing and is very likely to have double-digit touchdowns. So I think that take that you have on Chubb is pretty accurate, and here's why. Last year, Nick Chubb finished as the number six running back in standard rankings, which would justify him being taken at seventh overall. And he did this turning in a season of a little over 1,400 yards, and he had eight touchdowns. Now, your projections on him this year are actually a little more conservative. I see that you have him going from 281 carries down to 272 and going from over 1,400 yards to 1,360 doing it on nine touchdowns instead of eight. So all things considered, if he can almost replicate what he did last year with just a minor drop-off, you're still going to be seeing the type of production that made him the number six running back for last year. So it makes all the sense in the world to me that we could trust a guy like Nick Chubb to turn in those kind of rankings. And he's one that I really want to highlight for our listeners as well, because we've noticed in a lot of mock drafts that we've done that people are ignoring Nick Chubb at pick six, seven, eight, nine, and often even 10. So if you can form a strong opinion like we have that you can expect good things out of Nick Chubb, we'd expect if you're drafting in the second half of your league's draft, you have every chance to expect that you can bring this guy in as your number one running back, and that is extremely valuable. Uh, Moving on from Nick Chubb, number eight for us is Aaron Jones, who's in a very similar situation where we have seen a lot of other people's draft boards have him falling into the second round. We've got him with a first round grade, so why don't you talk a little bit about your your opinion on Aaron Jones and the possible regression that's been discussed there with his numbers. Aaron Jones is just one of, if not the most efficient running back there is. And some people like to use that as a reason to downgrade him and expect a lot of regression, which, yeah, I mean, I expect a little bit of regression too, but I think people are going a little bit overboard. And I understand that they drafted AJ Dillon in the second round, but I think that's more going to affect Jamal Williams role and less affect Aaron Jones's role in the offense. And I'm not going to get too much into this now, but I will tease that I'm going to get into some more stats a little bit later in the show and really break it down. Okay. Interesting. I'm excited to hear a little bit more about that. Uh, So after that, then we've got Josh Jacobs at nine, Joe Mixon at 10. I like both of those guys. I'd be very happy to have either of them as a number one running back on my team if I was picking at the end of the first round or if I was lucky enough to find them there at the beginning of the second. Any particular information you want to add about either of those guys before we move on? You know, I think these guys are just solid RB1s, but I don't think they have quite the ceiling as the other guys we talked about in this in this tier for us. Yeah, I could probably see that being the case. I know Josh Jacobs in particular has had a little bit of a knock when it comes to half PPR and PPR drafts for the work that he receives in the receiving game. But that is one area that I think he's going to get a boost on this year in particular. I've seen a lot of press come out of uh, Vegas that has indicated that they're looking to utilize him more uh, in the passing game. And if we could even see him come up to anywhere near league average in targets, it, he really, for me, is is just a spot on lock to be somewhere in the top five or six running backs, if not two or three three behind a guy like Christian McCaffrey. So uh, I, I, in particular, am real big on Jacobs for this year. And then I know as far as mixing goes, that's a guy who just sees the ball so much in so many different ways. It's hard not to expect big things out of him. I just do kind of worry a little bit that maybe he may not have the ceiling that some other guys 
ahead of him do just because of how many mouths there are to feed in that particular offense. It, there's going to be a lot of new changes and things going on with Joe Burrow and places for him to go with the football. So, it, you know, if Mixon could score 13 touchdowns on the year, I think I'd sign up to take him a lot earlier. But I think it's very possible maybe he finishes the year with seven, eight, nine touchdowns. And that could be the difference between being running back four and being running back 10. Uh, but either way, you know, I think we could take any of these first 10 guys and be pretty optimistic about where we're at. Um, I'll ask you real quick before we move on to the next tier, just to kind of highlight maybe a little difference in our draft strategy than there are with a lot of other people. Out of these 10 running backs that we're looking at so far, is there a particular wide receiver, quarterback, or Travis Kelsey that you would put ahead of any of these 10 guys? Michael Thomas would come into play. I think I would take Michael Thomas before this tier if we're in PPR. In half PPR, I think I'd still take Michael Thomas before this tier. And in standard, I think, is where we'd have to start talking between players. Uh, I think But I'd somewhere in Nick this Chubb. tier in particular. Yeah, it would be somewhere in this tier. So that's very interesting. I do like Michael Thomas. I can really understand, especially in PPR format, why he would make his way into the first round. I do agree with you that I don't think there's another wide receiver that belongs in that conversation. But just to confirm, if you're hypothetically looking at the 10th pick in a 10-team league and it just happened to go uh, nine running backs in front of you, you'd still be looking at Joe Mixon ahead of either Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, as well as ahead of Travis Kelsey. If I've got the 10th pick and the first nine picks for all running backs and I'm staring down Joe Mixon, I think I, in that case, I'll be taking Michael Thomas. And Joe Mixon on the back end. Correct. But the QBs and the tight ends don't come into play for me yet. We talked a little bit about our last episode, but we prefer waiting on those positions. So if I'm at the end of the first round, I'm still not considering quarterback or tight end. I like it. I'm with it. Our next tier, we're calling the RB1 hopefuls. So at ECR 8, we have Kenyon Drake. ECR 10, we have Miles Sanders. And ECR 11, Austin Eckler. And you can see this is where the expert consensus have these guys actually within their top 11 picks. And we kind of move some guys around of the way we feel it. But Justin, why don't you talk about our rankings? Sure. So in terms of those specific guys, Drake, Eckler, and Sanders. Drake, we have ranked at 11. Sanders at 12. Eckler at 13. So we're still holding form here as having those as as the top three guys, just maybe in a little bit of a different order. Uh, I don't really have too much to say about any of these three guys in particular. I think they're all almost the same. The way I feel about Kenyon Drake, Miles Sanders, and Austin Eckler does not differ too much from team to team or from offense to offense. Uh, I just think this is a tier of guys that maybe gets a little bit of a boost when you're looking at a PPR format. Uh, but in standard, I don't think any of them are going to rise to the level of the 10 running backs that we've looked at already. I would hope at the end of the year that they would give me running back one numbers, even if I'm not positive on that, which is kind of the exact reason why we called this tier the running back one hopefuls. Drake does not have a full season in that offense. We don't know what that offense is going to look like, really, with a guy like DeAndre Hopkins now in it and a, a second year for Kyler Murray. Will the running back work be the same as what we saw when Drake burst onto the scene at the end of last year? I don't know. Miles Sanders is another one where he doesn't necessarily carry, at least for me, the 
safety that comes with the track record of a guy like Derrick Henry or Alvin Kamara, right? But he has shown himself to be valuable. It's just a question of what happens if that offense changes a little bit. It, are his numbers going to diminish if something happens again to Carson Wentz and he's maybe hung out to dry somewhat? And those same sort of questions exist for Austin Eckler as well. What's that offense going to look like? It, will Tyrod Taylor have an impact on his numbers? Is Tyrod Taylor going to throw him the ball as much as Phillip Rivers was last year? What happens if they switch to Herbert at any point? And although these guys are all talented and I expect good things from them, I have just enough of a question with each of them that I can't say I'd be taking them in the first round. If if they're there in the second round and I'm adding them as my number two, I feel good about it. But part of the reason why we gave you all a list of our top 10 running backs before we moved on to these guys is because I think we really want to impress here, Wyatt, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that these guys, as valuable as they are, are not the one person that we want leading our running back line. They're nice to have as a running back too, but I don't think you would be comfortable starting the season if one of these three guys was your top running back. Is that fair? Yeah, each of these guys, I have a question about them or a question or two that uh, makes it so I can't put them in my top 10. You touched on Kenyon Drake and how he hasn't really been featured that much and how it's his. it was his first season in Arizona. He hasn't had a full season with them yet. An interesting stat I have about Kenyon Drake is that 30% of his rushing yards and 75% of his touchdowns came in two games. And then there's Miles wow. Sanders. He's playing for Philadelphia who under Doug Peterson, who has never had a running back run more than 179 times in a season, which was Miles Sanders total last year. So there's some hope there, but you still worry that it's a little bit more of running back by committee than you'd like. Also, he only had six touchdowns last year. He wasn't really much of a goal line back. I don't, I don't know if that changes. Austin Eckler, we touched on how that offense is going to change now that Tyrod Taylor is there. Interestingly, his efficiency was down a little bit uh, while he had more of a featured role. Before last season, he was averaging 5.3 yards per carry. Last year for the season, it was 4.2. And actually, while he was the featured back without Melvin Gordon, it was even lower at 3.9. So I worry a little bit that while he's in this featured role, his efficiency will be down and the offense will be worse. Yeah, I think those are all really valid concerns with these guys. So uh, do what you can. Try not to have that be the running back one on your team who's leading the line. But if you're in position to get them as a number two to be a complement to any of the guys that we mentioned before this, that would be fantastic. Um, now, for all the question marks that that particular tier has, I actually think that I personally like this next tier of running backs even more. Why don't you introduce that one? Yeah, so we're calling these guys the RB2s, just solid RB2s. ECR 15 is Todd Gurley, ECR 16, Leonard Fournette, ECR 18, Melvin Gordon. Yeah, so here's one where we maybe have a little more of a jump. Todd Gurley ranks as number 14 for us, Melvin Gordon ranks as 15, and then Leonard Fournette at 16. Uh, so we're in a spot here where we have Melvin Gordon a few spots higher than what he is in the expert consensus ranking. And I really, really like this particular tier of guys. I think they maybe carry that track record that I don't necessarily see in some of the other guys that are right before them. So I view all three of these as good stable options. What What's your opinion on these three? I was actually surprised to see that we were higher on Melvin Gordon than ECR because I'm not that high on him. At least I don't think that I am. I think that just speaks to how much lower we are on everybody else. Uh, but 
yeah, I, I think these guys are solid RB2s that are going to give you a good production floor week in and week out. Yeah, I feel that way as well. I know I've I've always been, if not a firm believer, a, a pretty good believer in the Atlanta offense. And I think if Devontae Freeman can put up good numbers, that there's no reason that Todd Gurley can't walk in and do the same thing. Obviously, with Gurley, it's a matter of health, but... I, I don't feel like I've seen any negative news clippings about where Gurley is at from a health standpoint recently. What do you know about his current situation? The only thing I've heard is when he passes physical and there hasn't been a report since then that I've found about his health. So I just at this point have to assume that he's ready to go. Yeah, I feel like I might be missing something there because, again, we seem so much higher on Todd Gurley than I think everyone else is, but do you have fear that Edo Smith is going to take touchdown carries away from Todd Gurley if he's healthy? I I think the only thing you can fear is injury. He's been dealing with arthritis in his knee, but he's been dealing with arthritis in his knee since he was in college because the moment you tear a ligament in your knee, you have arthritis in your knee. Todd Gurley tore his knee before he came to the NFL. So when he was RB1 two years in a row, he had arthritis in his knee. It's just, has it gotten any worse, I guess? Yeah, right. And I guess we won't really know till we know, but I'm almost willing to take that risk with Todd Gurley. I feel like if he's going to get touchdown work in that offense, what do I know? That they get in the red zone a lot. When they get in the red zone, they do like to give it to the running backs. If he's the guy in line there, he should get plenty of touchdowns to finish the year. And what else do we know? Well, historically, they're willing to throw the ball to the running back position. So if I'm in PPR, half PPR, not only am I expecting to get yardage and touchdowns out of Gurley, he's going to catch the ball a bit too. And that's pretty valuable. If Gurley were to get 50, 60 targets on the year and come down with 45, 50 receptions, that's a huge boost to his overall stats. And if he's healthy, I don't have any reason to think that that's not going to be the type of performance that he has. Um, I'll say this very briefly, I guess, about Leonard for net as well and you can chime in with your last thoughts on these guys but everything that i said about todd Gurley, i think is exactly how i feel about Fournette. everybody else seems to be very worried about him i'm the exact opposite i think they're going to use him and run him into the ground right and we know what type of uh historical work he's gotten within that offense and i haven't seen anything to really change there even gardner Minshew last year didn't really prevent Fournette from getting a stable amount of work uh, i'm expecting that he's still going to have a pretty high workload. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I expect him to lose some of his receiving work because of the Chris Thompson signing, but I think he's still going to carry the ball at least 250 times, and he should be expecting some positive touchdown regression. He only had three last year on 265 rushes and 76 receptions, which it, it, that, that, that kind of percentage just doesn't happen. He He's definitely going to have some positive touchdown regression, to help boost his numbers. I agree. I mean, I think that makes makes a lot of sense for these guys. They would be, again, very fitting running back twos. Uh, I think almost regardless of scoring system, they're good options here. So uh, let's, let's hope we get a chance to take one of those guys we were looking at in the top 10 and that one of these guys is a running back two in the, the next round after that. I'd be super, super happy with that. Uh, for me, I know I'd be willing to take one of these guys in the second round if I really had to do that. I don't feel like that's where I've seen them go. What do you recall about where we're seeing these three go in drafts? Yeah, we've mostly seen these guys round three, maybe in the beginning of round four. But 
we've been tending to pick them a little bit earlier because we want to make sure we have that solid RB2 and we feel really good about the wide receivers that we could get after that. Yeah, the wide receiver depth is one of the reasons why it's really easy to just stay locked in on taking a bunch of running backs. But that's incredible. I mean, if you're remembering that correctly, which I think you are, the idea that you could pluck one of these guys out in the third round after you've already gone with two extremely good running backs and make one of these guys your flex, or if you've gone running back wide receiver and you can still add one of these guys as your number two in the third round, that's that's value that I don't think you can pass up on in a year like this where there's what, barely 20 good running backs to go around. Right. Yeah. Our next set of running backs, we're calling the last of the RB2s. These are the guys that we would feel comfortable with having as our RB2, but it's really the last set of them. We've got ECR 14, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, ECR 17, Chris Carson, ECR 24, David Montgomery. So you definitely have some discord from the expert consensus rankings here, and I got to say, I like it. We have Chris Carson at number 17. That matches up dead on. David Montgomery is actually your number 18. So you're probably a full round higher on David Montgomery than where he's at in the expert rankings. And I see you got Clyde Edwards Hilaire at number 20. So, you know, whereas you're a round higher on David Montgomery, you're a full round lower on Edwards Hilaire. So I think I'm going to have to kind of hammer you on these three in particular. What what is up with David Montgomery that you're willing to be six spots higher on him in your rankings than where most experts have him? What it comes down to is that last year, the Chicago offense was terrible and it falls on the shoulders of Mitchell Trubisky. And even within that offense, David Montgomery had just under 900 yards and seven total touchdowns. Last year, the Chicago bears only had 28 touchdowns, but the year before they had 44 And then you look at Mitchell Trubisky's QBR. Last year, his QBR was 40.6, but in 2018, it was 70.8. So you could see how poorly Mitchell Trubisky did and how this correlated with the team scoring a lot less. So really what this means is now Nick Foles is there, and one of two things is going to happen. Either Nick Foles wins that job and he plays better than Mitchell Trubisky did last year, or Mitchell Trubisky is now pushed by Nick Foles, and he regains the starting job and plays better. Either way, this offense has to get better. And if David Montgomery can have just under 900 yards and seven touchdowns on that terrible offense, I can only imagine what he can do with a real functioning NFL offense. Yeah, that's all good, good news in terms of David Montgomery. Let me ask you another question in regards to drafting a guy like Montgomery. If you know going into a draft that you have him at 18, most people have him back at 24. Are you willing to wait on him or are you going to overdraft him to ensure that you get him because I mean I'm looking at some average draft positions and I'm seeing that where we're at right now Montgomery's going 52nd overall according to ADP at running back 24 like you mentioned which means most drafts guys like Devin Singletary David Johnson James Connor Lavian Bell Mark Ingram are all going before David Montgomery comes off the board are you looking to maybe wait and snag him in the fourth round or potentially even in the fifth round or are you gonna gonna take him in the third round because you're a believer it really depends on how many running backs are left on the board when i'm up to pick if i feel like there's enough running backs left that i can wait and get him on on my next pick i will probably do so just knowing that i am higher on him than most other people are i could likely take that risk but If there's only a few guys in between him, 
I think I just have to to go out there and 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 call my shot and take David Montgomery. So that that's good analysis. I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of waiting or maybe where to draft a guy like that. Let's look at the opposite scenario. So Edward Tolaire, pretty high up in most people's rankings. You have him back at twenty. Why are you so much lower on him than the rest of the community? For one, I don't think Damian Williams is just going to go away. I think that to start the season, Damian Williams is still going to have a heavy part of this offense. Now, as the season goes on, maybe Clyde Edwards, Edwards Hilaire becomes that guy and really takes over the offense. But for me, the way I like to draft is I want to have people who start out the year on the right foot to help me get to the playoffs. I don't want to be behind in the playoff chase midseason because I have Clyde Edwards, Edwards Hilaire and he hasn't getting the work that I want. So I've got him a little bit back farther than everybody. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, again, I don't think that the first two, three, four even rounds is a spot to take a lot of chances. Uh, I'm definitely looking for a guy with a more proven track record there. So for for what it's worth, I, I'm fully on board with you. I can see from the average draft position board that, right, like Edward Solaire is coming in at running back 16. But in terms of where he's being drafted, it would be early in the third round. So the the current Fantasy Pros ADP shows that Fournette is going 32, Edward Solaire is going 33, Melvin Gordon's going 34. I'd be much more inclined to look at a guy like Fournette or Gordon who has that more proven track record than I would take a shot that Edwards Hilaire is going to be everything that we think he's going to be. Um, I know this is a topic we'll get into in some later shows, but Edward Hilaire is also going before some wide receivers that I find to be very talented, like Calvin Ridley uh, and DK Metcalf. So I also think this is maybe an instance where if it comes to me in the middle of the third round and Gurley, Fournette, and Gordon are off the board and Edwards Hilaire is the only one that's left, maybe I'm thinking wide receiver here and hoping to grab myself somebody like David Montgomery on the back end instead of being a little more risky with Edwards Hilaire. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if we really want to invest too much time in Chris Carson. I know, uh, like you had mentioned earlier, that you're going to do a little more analysis on Aaron Jones. I'm going to do a little more analysis, I think, on Chris Carson towards the end of the show. So why don't we save a discussion on him for later? Yeah, I think that makes sense. We're going to move on to the next set here. We got what we're calling the RB2 hopefuls. So we've got ECR 19, Le'Veon Bell, ECR 20, James Conner, and ECR 21, David Johnson. Yeah, we got exactly those three, but kind of in a different order. David Johnson, we have ranked at 19 right before Edwards Hilaire, then Le'Veon Bell at 21 behind him, and James Conner at 22 behind that. Uh, I think maybe here, Le'Veon Bell and... James Conner, there's not a whole lot for us to discuss, right? At Le'Veon Bell, we assume he's going to get a good workload, but that's a workload in an Adam Gase offense, which is always a nightmare, and the Jets, quite frankly, are a terrible team. So we don't we don't really know what we're going to get from Le'Veon Bell at the end of the year, but we know there's going to be opportunity there, so he could convert it. Uh, James Conner, I think we know what to expect out of Conner, just there's a lot of injury risk to be involved we don't know exactly what that offense is going to be like with big ben trying to come back if that will will even work or not work so i think maybe here let's focus a little more on david johnson since we have him higher than everyone else in the group uh a lot of people that i've heard are under the assumption that david johnson is just done and finished and he's appearing on a lot of people's do not draft lists overall 
Uh, you clearly do not feel that way. So what what's your thoughts on having David Johnson ranked as number 19 overall? Well, I'm going to be honest. David Johnson, after his injury last year, he did not look good. There's, there's just no easy way of putting it. He didn't look great. But apparently Bill O'Brien thought he looked great because he decided to trade DeAndre Hopkins <laughs> for him. So I have to assume that he's got big plans for him. And this is an offense where last year Carlos Hyde had the best year of his career. And if Carlos Hyde can do that in this offense, even a somewhat hobbled David Johnson, I have to imagine is going to have some decent value there. Yeah, I very much agree with that. I definitely think that this is a year in particular where we're going to see Houston have to focus a little bit more on throwing the ball to the running backs when that's necessary. It's one thing to throw a jump ball up to DeAndre Hopkins, right? But if I'm understanding the way that their offense ought to work, Wyatt, right? Like I'm expecting Will Fuller when he even plays at this point and Brandon Cooks to be on opposite sides of the field trying to stretch the defense. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think that sounds right. So at that point, if it's not going to work, if a play is not going to allow you to throw a deep ball to either of those guys, it kind of lends itself to an offense where you got to throw the ball to either your tight end position or your running back position. And I can't imagine that there's tight ends there that are a better option than David Johnson and Duke Johnson. So uh, I would imagine that if David Johnson is going to be a first and second down running back, which he ought to be, even if he loses a little bit of third down work to Duke Johnson, he's still going to see plenty of work in the passing game. Uh, we know he's going to get a huge amount of carries in that offense throughout the year. Plus, he should get the goal line work. So, I'm with you. Like, I don't think I need much more than maybe the ghost of David Johnson pass to end up putting up running back two numbers out of the sheer volume <laughs> that should come out of that offense. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit concerned about passing work. I mean, they did decide to give Randall Cobb $27 million, too. So, maybe he's going to be having some of that underneath work. But you're right. I He should get plenty of carries. He should get plenty of goal line work. So, even even the ghost should be able to do something. Yeah, I hope so. At least that's the way I'm going to be drafting him this year. That's for sure. Yeah, and to just put a bow on Le'Veon Bell real quick. If you're not in PPR, he's he has a floor, but he's never, never going to give you a ceiling. Under Adam Gase, the fantasy succubus, <laughs> there has only been rushing touchdown totals in the last three years of six, seven, and four. And Adam Gase's rushing offense has finished 29th, 18th, and 31st the last three years. He just he doesn't produce fantasy running backs. Le'Veon Bell is lucky enough that he catches lots of lots of balls. So in PPR, he can definitely be a good RB2. Outside of PPR, he's just this high floor, very low ceiling RB2. Yeah, I'm with you there. So I, I get it. It it makes sense. You can take him as a running back, too, and the volume should carry you to acceptable numbers there. But uh, I, I seem to remember a lot of running backs in the past who have turned in what are good years at the end of the year. But then you look back at their game log and they'd give you nine points. And then the next week, 11, then they'd give you 10, then they'd give you eight, then they'd give you 12. And at the end of the year, the totals look great, but you never had any weeks where they gave you 15, 18, 20, 25 it was always just one small, consistent number. And I could definitely see that being Le'Veon Bell this year, right? Like 60, 70 yards a game when he scores a touchdown, you get 13, 14, 15. But that's maybe the maximum that we see out of him. I, I guess I'd be flat out shocked if Le'Veon Bell has a 150-yard multiple touchdown game at any point this year. 
Yeah, I think Le'Veon Bell has the lowest range of outcomes for this year. He's basically going to be somewhere in between running back 17 to 22. Like, he's pretty much guaranteed to end in there. And, I mean, there is some value in that for certain teams and certain makeups of teams. It's just you're never going to get an RB1 out of him. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, and I guess there's a possibility that maybe you could get an RB1 out of David Johnson. Um I know all the guys we discussed in the tier above this, I kind of feel the same way about them as well, that they've got a good chance of maybe putting up a higher ceiling. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not overly excited about locking in Le'Veon Bell as the number two running back on my team. If he's going to be the third running back on my team and I'm going to flex him when I have to, uh, flex him in matchups where I feel like I just need to guarantee that I'm not taking a zero at that flex position, I can see the the value in having him in those particular situations. But... I think that's about as far as I could go with uh, Adam Gase keeping his ceiling as low as it is. And just to touch on James Conner, he has his injury history, and we've kind of talked about this a little bit before. We just have so many questions about the Pittsburgh offense that, yeah, when James Conner plays, he's going to score a lot of points. He's going to be good for your team. But there's just so many questions about his health and that offense in general that we, we just had to bring him back. Yeah, so I have the same sort of questions that you do about his health and that offense, so I'm with you there fully. And to finish up our running back breakdown for the show, we're going to do some boom bust now. So we're each going to pick one guy for a boom, one guy for a bust out of this group of players. Justin, why don't you start off with your boom? Sure. So I struggled with this one a lot. The 21 guys that we have on our list here at running back so far are all good candidates, so... Who's on this list that I can maybe expect a little more out of? And for me, the way that I define that is who is maybe not in the top five, that at the end of the year, I could really see finishing as a top five player. And for me, that guy's actually Todd Gurley. I love what his role will be in the Atlanta offense if he's healthy. And I think a lot of the discussion that we've had for him and many of the running backs in this first set is about how stable their offenses are and about how stable their floor is. And I think even if he's not 100% healthy, I'm still expecting some good yardage and some touchdown work and some receptions out of Todd Gurley for the year. So for me, it then becomes a question of what if he is fully healthy? Where are we headed in that scenario? And for me, I could easily see a healthy Gurley finishing out 14, 15, 16 games this year and coming back to running back three, four, five at the end of the season. And I can't really find any evidence that points to the contrary on that. There has been for many years, a split in work between Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman in that Atlanta offense, where very often those guys were seeing a hundred or close to a hundred targets a year between them. So do I think Todd Gurley is going to get a hundred targets in the passing game? No, but I have every reason to believe that he could easily see 60 to 70 which is massive, massive work coming out of of the backfield. There's every reason to believe that he's going to have a thousand yards this year. And if he's getting a lot of goal line carries without a lot of competition, he can easily get 10 touchdowns. So I'm kind of putting all that together, why it may be a little bit liberally. But my thoughts on Gurley is that if we just see him kind of take over all of the work that Devontae Freeman traditionally got in the past, he should be able to replicate, if not exceed, the numbers that made Devontae Freeman a first or second round running back for years in 2016, 17, 18, right? 
And I, I would think when it comes to him and Ito Smith, that all the work that used to belong to Tevin Coleman is still going to be split. And that's even more work that Todd Gurley should pick up. So if he can finish the year with 60 to 65 catches, 1100 yards and can hit the 10 touchdown plateau, you know, there's every reason to think that that's going to land him in the top four, five, six running back. So when I'm evaluating my options and I'm looking at, like we talked about, the question marks that surround Austin Eckler, Miles Sanders, Kenyon Drake, if I'm comparing Gurley to a guy like Edwards Hilaire or Melvin Gordon in a new offense or Austin Eckler with a bunch of new pieces, uh, I, I really got to think Gurley is the guy there that I can highlight and say, you know what, I can see every reason to believe that I'm going to take this guy in round three and at the end of the year, he's going to finish top five. So that's my that's my boom out of the early running backs. What do you got? So my boom is Aaron Jones, and I touched on this a little bit earlier, but Aaron Jones is just one of the most efficient running backs out there. And put it in perspective, in 2019, he scored on every 15 total touches. And people say, well, that he just can't keep up with that. It's not going to happen. And yeah, you know, I don't expect him to score that often again. But the year prior, before he was featured as much, he was scoring every 17.6 total touches. So he was still scoring quite often. It's just, it's what Aaron Jones does. And the biggest thing for me is, if you take Aaron Jones' stats and you just lop off 20% of his total stats, just get rid of it. He still has 1,246 total yards and 15 total touchdowns. And those kind of numbers can will give you top 10. If he doesn't have that big of a lop off in his, in, his, in his total yards and total touchdowns, you're looking at a top five guy. I can definitely see how he would ascend to those sort of numbers. <laughs> I guess you're just not nearly as afraid of the regression as most other people are so why why do you think why do you think other experts i guess are so worried that the regression is going to turn him into running back 15 well i think there's fear with aj Dillon, which i don't have that fear as i mentioned before i think that more affects jamal williams as opposed to aaron jones and also you know aaron jones did have the majority of his passing work while Devontae Adams was gone, so that's a little bit unreliable. But I'm just a full-on believer in Aaron Jones' ability to score and his efficiency in and around the goal line that I expect him to still score plenty this year. So last year, Aaron Jones finishes the season, I believe, as running back three. The projections that you have when you put running backs together and then ultimately did the positional rankings that we've been discussing throughout the show so far, are those numbers predicated off of the projections that you did? The projections always play a role in how we do the ranking. They're not the end-all, be-all. The projections, what they really do is help you get an idea of what this person might do in a in the offense this year, and it helps you alter your rankings. Perhaps you see something you didn't see before. Perhaps you realize you were too high on somebody. And that's how I try to use the projections. So I guess why the reason why I ask about the projections in particular is because I, I know that Aaron Jones finishes out last year as running back three. Now he's going in the middle of the second round around pick 15 or so in most drafts. Now you and I have him rated up at number eight. And I think that's because our data suggests, at least our projections suggest that if he regresses, 
from where he was as the number three running back last year, he, he's only going to regress as far as maybe running back six, seven, eight, which is still worth taking in the first round. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's a good one. Um, why don't we switch gears and maybe look at a couple of guys who we don't think are going to perform quite as well. Yeah. So for my bust, I have Melvin Gordon. And the reason is because one, he has a little bit of injury history. He's only actually played 16 games once in his five years in the NFL. And his entire fantasy value has been based off of touchdowns and receiving work. He's only actually go, gone over a thousand yards rushing once in his career. He's going to this new team and there's a lot of weapons already in place. And like I said, Melvin Gordon's fancy value has been based off his touchdowns and receiving work. He had 47 total touchdowns in 67 games so far, and his average receiving yards are 447 on 53 catches, and he usually gets three receiving touchdowns. But in Denver, Philip Lindsay's already there, who has back-to-back 1,000-yard rushing yard seasons, 17 total touchdowns the last two, two years, and he's had 35 receptions each year. They drafted Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler to upgrade the passing offense. We've got Cortland Sutton and Noah Fant who look like they're about to emerge and Cortland Sutton really already has. So if Melvin Gordon doesn't end up getting enough goal line work, enough red zone work, and he isn't involved enough in the passing game, I could easily see Melvin Gordon all of a sudden falling out of this RB2 range pretty easily. Which kind of seems like a thing that we hear every year where there's some Broncos running backs that are pretty hyped. And then at the end of the year, it turned out to not be what we were hoping for. Um, What do you say to the school of thought that, you know, Vic Fangio is an old school guy and he wants to lean on the running back, which is why he brought Melvin Gordon in the first place. And that his coaching style is enough evidence that he's going to get a ton of work. Well, even last year, there was Royce Freeman who had 132 carries and was really the major receiving back in that offense. He had 50 targets. So I'm not so sure that that's true when it comes to Vic Fangio. So, Justin, now, why don't you give me your bust? So I really struggle with this one as well because I like him so much. I've been a believer for years, but I think I'm a finally going to turn here on Chris Carson and I'm going to make him my bust off of this list of guys that we already went through. Um, I really flirted with the idea of Edwards Hilaire or James Connor as my bust, but I think we kind of explored them very thoroughly earlier in the show and I didn't really want to pick a guy towards the end of the ranking. So uh, I'll grab a guy who I think is in everybody's top 20 in Chris Carson and I'll tell you why I am, will not find myself owning any shares of Chris Carson this year at that price. I had a lot of issues at the end of last season where a long-standing history of irritating Pete Carroll with fumbling the football led Carson to find himself on the sideline, right? Do you remember that situation at the end of last year, Wyatt? Yeah, he started splitting carries with Rashad Penny. And then Rashad Penny went absolutely nuts, and you were never quite sure who to play or how it was going to go. And then on top of all the uncertainty, the injury bug hits. And I haven't really heard any definitive answers on how things are going with Chris Carson, but I worry maybe a little bit about his health, not only in a sense of what's up with Chris Carson, but also what's up with Rashad Penny. If I can't get a clear answer on whether or not Rashad Penny starts the year on the pup list, 
that makes it very, very hard for me to be all in on a guy like Chris Carson as my team's number two running back or as a guy that I need to flex week in, week out and play during all the bye weeks because I'm just not sure what type of workload he's going to see. There's new faces in that backfield as well, one of which is Carlos Hyde. Now, Carlos Hyde is coming off of the best season that I think he's ever recorded in the NFL uh, with the, what, a thousand yards and a ton of touchdowns last year in Houston. And I remember a few weeks back seeing a report that still sticks fresh in my mind where the Eagles and Doug Peterson made a comment about missing out on a veteran running back that they thought they were going to land who ultimately decided to take a different offer with another team and tracing the timing of that particular message. I think we all believe at this point that they're referring to Carlos Hyde. So what I do know is that every single year, the Eagles have a Carlos Hyde last year, Jordan Howard type running back who gets a fair amount of work and gets a lot of touchdowns in their offense, right? And if Carlos Hyde is willing to pass up that known role with the Eagles to come out to Seattle, it tells me that the Eagles organization and Pete Carroll have had to convince Carlos Hyde that he's going to get the type of workload that he's looking for in Seattle. I haven't seen any indications at this point, Wyatt, that the reason he went to Seattle was monetary uh, was a monetary decision. It seems to me like it's all about his pride and the amount of work that he wants to receive. And if he's going to have a role within that offense that includes the potential to get goal line carries, that makes it even harder for Chris Carson to put up running back two numbers, let alone put up running back one numbers, because we're still drafting Chris Carson in the third, fourth round where we're hoping the guy that we take might ultimately end the year as a running back one. And I just don't see that happening in a year where we're not sure who's going to have the ball. We're not sure who's healthy. There's a new rookie there. There's a veteran free agent who can carry the ball there from the goal line. That just all adds up to too much uncertainty. Like sometimes with these guys, it almost becomes like death by a thousand cuts. And that's kind of how I feel about Chris Carson. I've, waited for years for him to emerge and become this stud and every time it seems like he's about to do just that a couple minor things happen and we're right back to where we started from and I just can't see myself investing this year on that type of third fourth round price tag for him when I can grab other guys in that area that I feel much more strongly about now I know we're going to talk about a lot of running backs on one of our future episodes, but I'm even in a position here where if you do some mock drafts on your own, you're going to see wide receivers in the same range as Chris Carson that I think are way more valuable. So if I have to decide between taking Chris Carson or DJ Moore or DJ Shark or DK Metcalf, even from his own team, I think I'd rather go with a receiver in a spot like that or with a different running back if one's available and then maybe look farther down my draft board. And if I can walk into a guy like Raheem Mostert or Jonathan Taylor, or like you had mentioned David Montgomery a little bit later in the drafts, I'd rather maybe grab one of those running backs and save the risk on a guy like Carson, which pains me to say, because I absolutely love Seattle's offense this year. And I think that they're going to have valuable running back work I just kind of fear that we're going to find ourselves in a situation where at the end of the year maybe Carson Penny and Hyde were all 
sitting around the same flex or just outside of flex numbers. And you can't have that happen if you're going to use a fourth round or a third round pick on that. That news about Philadelphia is uh, really interesting. You know, I didn't actually see that one. So it's kind of illuminating for me to, to hear that. And it does make me want to think a little less of Chris Carson this year. Yeah, it is. It's just it's very suspicious that a guy would walk away from that role. Uh, we've seen it every single year that it seems to be very valuable, right? Like off the top of my head, I think we've seen what, like Jordan Howard and LeGarrette Blunt in recent seasons reap what turns out to be contractual rewards in following seasons because of that particular role in Philadelphia. And I, I have to think, right, that after last year where Carlos Hyde saw so much work in Houston where Duke Johnson was kind of coming in to be a compliment off of him instead of the other way around, that if he wasn't happy with what he was hearing in Philadelphia about getting a lot of work in the red zone and getting those goal line touches, that he had to have heard the magic words in his head, which is, we're going to use you early and often. And if any semblance of that comes to be true in Seattle, that's bad news for Chris Carson. And that whole debate there on Carlos Hyde has nothing to do with if Rashad Penny is healthy in the background or if the rookie emerges or if Carson starts fumbling the football again and finds himself on the sideline for a few games at a time. So there's just too much going on there for me to faithfully put that type of pick in it. Like, I, I don't know if I'm if I really want a piece of Seattle's backfield. Why wouldn't I just wait and take Carlos Hyde or Rashad Penny at the very end of a draft where it costs me nothing? And if it turns out I'm wrong and Chris Carson's the man, well, then congratulations to the guy who took him in the third round when I took somebody like Calvin Ridley and I'm still happy with it. I'll drop Rashad Penny off the end of my bench and make a free agent transaction. But it's a lot easier for my team to navigate that than it is to be stuck with Carson all year and find him unplayable. Yeah, it's really all very interesting. You know, I, I think I may have to come down a little bit further on Chris Carson. I think that's going to wrap up our running back talk for today. But now we're going to move on to our top three ADP outperformers. We're going to go through this real quick. What we're going to do is we're each going to give our top three. These are guys who have some history of outperforming ADP and we think are likely to do so this season. We're going to alternate back and forth. I'm going to start off with my first one, and this guy's Marvin Jones, okay? He's being drafted in the 10th round right now. His 16-game pace while in Detroit is 110 targets, 64 catches, 1,002 yards, 8 touchdowns. To put those numbers in perspective, last year, DJ Shark, he had 118 targets, 73 catches, 1,008 yards and eight touchdowns. He was wide receiver 16 in standard and 17 PPR. Basically what this means is when Marvin Jones is playing, he's a wide receiver too. And you can get him as your fourth or fifth wide receiver. If he's healthy and playing, you can start him easily. Justin, why don't you give me your first one? Well, I'll match you and I'll give uh, another receiver here to go with it. Uh, my guy's going to be Jarvis Landry. So I just think that this is just the epitome of what it is to be a pick in fantasy football that's useful, but not sexy. And because it's not sexy, people choose not to go that route. So we've seen year after year that Jarvis Landry is picked in the late 20s when it comes to wide receivers off the board. This year, it's even further back. This year, in most places, he's ranked as 
uh, the low 30s. I've seen some places where he's the 34th receiver off the board. In most instances, Jarvis Landry's going somewhere around wide receiver 30, 31, or 32, which is an eighth or ninth round pick to put that in more easy to understand terms, right? So what do we know about Jarvis Landry? Every year, he outperforms where he's picked by about two rounds. And the reason why I think he's such a good ADP overperformer is because he doesn't have the massive ceiling that a lot of fantasy owners are looking for. But I'm okay with that when it comes to what should be a back-end receiver on your team. By the time you get to the eighth or ninth round, I'm sincerely hoping that you're adding what is your fourth or fifth wide receiver. Maybe worst case scenario, you're adding your third wide receiver at this particular juncture. But if you're staring at a team that's got four running backs in place, you've picked up, uh, let's say, a quarterback already, and you've grabbed yourself three wide receivers, and now you're in round nine, a guy like Jarvis Landry is very valuable to you because what he consistently does is turn in a season that is five to ten picks higher in the wide receiver rankings than where you were able to take him. I don't see any reason that that would be different this year. By all accounts, the offense that Kevin Stefanski is going to run is going to allow Jarvis Landry to kind of utilize the talents that he's best known for, which is to be a good slot receiver and make himself available for Baker to throw him the ball on quick early reads and try and turn up field and get himself some yardage. So if I can take him cheap and make him the third, fourth, fifth receiver on one of my teams, I'm expecting maybe low end wide receiver two numbers out of him. And I'm very happy with that. Anytime I have an injury, anytime I have bye weeks and I need to play him, I'm not risking running out a guy who's going to give me a zero, going to give me two points. I'm happy to roll him out and pick up nine targets for seven catches, take my 70 or 80 yards. And if I'm lucky enough to get a week where you have a touchdown, off we go. So my number two ADP outperformer is Tyler Boyd, who's being drafted in the eighth round His last two years, he's averaged 128 targets, 83 receptions for 1,037 yards and six touchdowns. And I know what everyone's going to say. A.J. Green wasn't there. A.J. Green has been playing. That's why Tyler Boyd has been playing so well and accumulating all these stats. Well, I decided to go back, look at Tyler Boyd's stats from 2018 when he was playing with A.J. Green. It went for eight games. In those eight games, he had 66 targets, 49 receptions. 620 yards, five touchdowns. That's a 16-game pace of 98 receptions, 1,240 yards, and 10 touchdowns. Those are wide receiver one numbers. Now, I'm not projecting him to do that. There's a lot of questions still in that offense with Joe Burrow coming in new. But what I can tell you is Tyler Boyd is going to outperform where he's being drafted right now. I do agree with you on that one, I think. Uh, Let me ask you a couple of questions, and I'll give you my next guy. If I told you that I was going to give you a quarterback that's going to give you over 300 yards and about two and a half touchdowns a game and is going to do that on no more than one interception a game, you interested in taking that guy? That guy does sound pretty good. Yeah, well, you'd be in the minority because Matthew Stafford is going undrafted in a lot of mock drafts that I have seen recently, and I can't quite figure out why. I believe that he's being overlooked when it's not really justified to do that. So, uh, A year ago in 2018, prior to this last season, when he turned in a full 16-game effort, he had one of the weaker years of his career, putting out about 3,800 passing yards and 21 touchdowns on 11 attempts. 
To me, that represents Matt Stafford's absolute floor. We've really never seen numbers worse than that. In 2017 and 2016, he's well over 4,000 yards. In one year in particular, he had as much as 29 touchdowns, and the interceptions are never really out of control. I I cannot find a year for Matt Stafford where he's throwing more than 16 interceptions or more than one a game. So I think the expectation that you can roll him out and expect to get 300 yards, multiple touchdowns on one or less interceptions is perfectly good if you're projecting Matt Stafford. I also think that he could be coming into a season where the Lions have better weapons. I think there's a a certain method to how an offense works and what rhythm looks like and where the ball goes. And this year in particular with Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay, as well as the new weapons that they have there running back and the fact that Hawkinson is coming into what what ought to be his breakout season if he's ever going to have one. Everything lines up for Stafford to be healthy and to perform really, really well. So last year, he had 2,100 yards and 16 touchdowns in the seven games he played prior to getting injured. That works out to exactly the averages that we've been looking at, over 300 yards and over two touchdowns a game. And he did that on five interceptions. So for me, I'm looking at a guy who in a lot of 15 round mock drafts isn't even coming off the board, but we have ranked at quarterback 13. I think we might even be just a touch higher on him than most people are already. This is a guy that I think everybody should be targeting later in the draft, especially if you're going to wait on quarterback like we are. If you're looking to grab yourself a guy like Tom Brady or Carson Wentz a little bit later, instead of investing a high draft pick in someone like, Kyler Murray, who also has a lot of question marks surrounding him, it seems like Matt Stafford is the perfect number two quarterback for a lot of these rosters where you may find yourself playing him week in, week out in the right matchups. So for me, almost regardless of who I would take as my quarterback one, Matt Stafford just profiles as the perfect quarterback two, and I can wait and take him very late, often in the 12th, 13th, 14th round, or even later than that in most drafts and I'm getting a guy where I can look at the matchups and identify the weeks that I expect him to have 300 yards and multiple touchdowns and take advantage of some of those nice juicy home matchups in the dome where he can just go out and sling it. Yeah. I think there might be a little bit of recency bias when it comes to thinking about Matthew Stafford. So my last ADP outperformer is James White is another player being drafted in the eighth round. And I think they're, are some people out there who are afraid of James White now because of Cam Newton, but I believe that Cam Newton is still going to utilize James White. And James White is someone who, in the last five years, he's averaged 92 targets for 67 receptions, just under 600 yards and five touchdowns, and he's adding another two touchdowns a year rushing. So in the eighth round, getting someone like this who has such a high floor, especially in PPR, I think it's just really valuable. But Wyatt, Sony Michelle. You know, I I think Sony Michelle is getting pretty overdrafted at this point. Now, with this new with this Cam Newton signing, we really expect Sony Michelle's touchdowns to go down, and that's where his only value has ever been. Sony Michelle has a guy who whose value depends on his volume and his touchdowns. And if Cam Newton is vulturing him at the goal line, and Sony Michelle gets four touchdowns on the year, maybe five, he basically provides zero value for your team. 
Yeah, I get that. I think you're probably in the right spot there with the Patriot running back that I'd prefer out of all of them, especially if we're talking about PPR or half PPR league. Um, I also think, you know what, Wyatt, there's something to be said about the fact that as a good veteran, he really understands that offense and he understands what Belichick wants done. And if Cam Newton comes in and there's any question about his understanding of the offense, I think, you know, weirdly, maybe this year we see more snaps out of James White than we've even seen in the past because he may have a role almost as like a an elder elder statesman in that offense that a guy like Sony Michelle or even a guy like Rex Burkhead is just not going to have. Yeah, I think you're right. What's your last ADP outperformer? Well, for me, it's Tevin Coleman. I've always been a big fan of Tevin Coleman. I had him very, very high up on my board last year for what I thought he was going to be able to do in San Francisco. And I, I think you're in really prime position to get extremely good value out of Tevin Coleman this year where he admittably is coming off of the one year where he did not return his draft value. So last year he was going somewhere in the high twenties for his overall running back uh, ranking. And he finished his running back 36 because he missed the first three games and he had a tough end of the year. And I, I get that. And I can see why there might be a little hesitation there, but one thing I do know is that Raheem Mostert is a bit of a journeyman. And I don't know if I'm willing to believe that Raheem Mostert's going to walk in and take over all of the running back work in San Francisco. We also have Raheem Mostert looking for a trade as per the news that we were just kind of going over earlier. So for me, Tevin Coleman is a guy who is going in the 10th or 11th round or later in most drafts. Again, this is another player who at some points has been undrafted. He's consensus ranking 39 for running backs, and I just expect him to outperform that by a very large margin. He's another guy that a lot like Jarvis Landry for me does not have a massive ceiling because he has a set role within his offense. But what I have seen is that year after year when he was with Atlanta, he consistently outperformed that role that he was given. So he would be drafted as a guy who you would stash as running back four, running back five. Remember, for years, people would draft Devontae Freeman in round one or two and then would make it a point to end up with Tevin Coleman so that they would have him on the weeks when Devontae Freeman was unavailable, which would happen every so often. Each year, he would be almost a standalone flex player. And I think you have that again this season. Tevin Coleman ought be able to give you numbers consistent with his career averages. So if you look at last year, he finished with about seven or 800 all-purpose yards and he turned in seven touchdowns. That's not terrible numbers to be running back 36. Most years, he has about 900 yards and he's had seasons of 11, eight, and nine touchdowns prior to going to San Francisco. So if I give him just a teeny bit of positive regression and say he's going to go from 700-some yards to 900-some yards and from seven touchdowns to nine touchdowns, that's enough to jump him up to like running back 20. That's a guy who you could flex and be comfortable with the numbers that you get in a flex position. Not very often are you drafting a running back at that particular position where they're very scarce in the 10th, 11th, 12th round and finding out at the end of the season that they were a viable flex candidate. And I think that's what we can expect out of Tevin Coleman. So I'd continue to monitor the Raheem Mostert situation and Jarek McKinnon's health very 
very thoroughly. But you, you, Wyatt, really raised a good point earlier when you said that he has such a set role in that offense that you don't really know how much anything is going to influence that. And I think all of that adds up to a picture where you can draft this guy as running back 40 and expect him to maybe finish somewhere in the 20s. And that's all you can ask is to get, you know, higher value than where you picked him. Yeah, I think people have been ignoring Tevin Coleman because he doesn't have a very high ceiling, but I think he does provide that floor for a team, which can be kind of valuable. Yeah, I agree. So as a back half of the roster type guy, that's where I do maybe want a little bit of stability. If I have an injury or two that causes a disruption to my season, I don't necessarily want to rely on, and I don't mean to pick on him. I'm just using him as an example. I don't necessarily want to rely on having to pull Jerry Judy off of my bench and put him in my flex position week in, week out, regardless of matchup, hoping that he gives me a good return on my investment. I'd I'd rather have an option like Tevin Coleman where I can expect him to give me 80 all-purpose yards and maybe a touchdown in a game, and I'm going to get something out of that spot there. So at the end of the year, I always feel like if you don't have five running backs and five wide receivers, you've messed up at some point. So there's value in doing what we suggest here where you're looking at grabbing two to three running backs in the first three to four rounds and then maybe taking a shot with a young guy and then grabbing a guy like Coleman as your last two to provide some balance. Uh, And I've always viewed that type of situation as very valuable. If you can give me Tevin Coleman and Jarvis Landry on my team, and I know I'm going to have some stable high floor players, it makes me feel better about going out and taking some chances on some huge home run picks that could potentially turn out to be league winners. Cause if I'm wrong, still have a good backup plan. I think that's going to wrap up things for today. We're going to actually come back to you guys next week with another episode where we're going to do rounds five through eight with these running backs. And then we're going to talk some late round sleepers right now. We're actually working on putting up a Patreon so we can provide even more content to everyone. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Wyatt B underscore FF. Justin's at J will underscore FF and the show's at JWB underscore FF. And we'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you.